What is up? Um, so, for the state line, I'm super excited about it. Tiffany's here, um, and she's kind of been the, I don't know, the, kind of the driving force behind this thing, idea of, you know, that the church has been against a lot of things for a long time. And let's talk less about what we're against and more about what we're for. And um, not just talk about it, let's do something about it. And so there's all these ways that you can serve. You go to fourthstateline.org. It's not just about the swag. Those swag is pretty cool. I like this t-shirt. Um, but uh, it's not about the swag. It's about what we're doing um, for the sake of other people. Uh, and make sure, you, so make sure you take a little time. Go to fourthstateline.org and, um, and hear a little bit about it. All right. Um, you guys remember extra credit? You remember extra credit? Like, okay, in, in school, the teacher's like, okay, and we're, here's the thing, and it's for extra credit. How many of you guys were extra credit people? Like, you were like, yes, I'm gonna, if there's extra credit, I'm going to do the extra credit. Okay. Um, now, I, was, I taught math for a very short period of time, and I always thought extra credit was stupid. <laughs> I was like, I, I just, because here's the thing. There's only two kinds of kids that do extra credit. And if you raise your hand, I'm about to be sorry, okay? There's only two kinds of kids that do extra credit. The first kind of kid is the kid who already has 100%, and they want 102%, right? Am I right? And that kid annoys me. Sorry if that's you. Um, the other kind of kid is the kid who didn't do jack all semester, and looks at their grade and is like, oh my gosh, Mr. Andy, you've got to give me extra credit or I'm going to fail, right? And I think, why do you care so much about extra credit? You didn't care about regular credit. Um, but extra credit, I think it was a, like when the teacher said it, it was like, ooh, it's like a bonus. And I, here's the thing. I think that there are people that, um, that might think that there is the same kind of thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. That there is spiritual extra credit, right? That uh, maybe if I pray a little bit more, or I serve a little bit more, or I give a little bit more money, or I read my Bible a little bit more, that, that somehow down the road, like when I get to heaven, there's going to be like this extra special reward, extra credit for me, right? Or maybe like um, if I just... I just need to, um, to mow my neighbor's lawn or, or take that, that meal to that family that somehow I'm like, I'm putting jewels in my crown. I've got something that I'm working for. Um, and, and here's the reality. The reality of it is that there is no extra credit when it comes to our eternal reward. It doesn't exist. There is no extra credit. Uh, the truth is perfect is perfect. If heaven is perfect... There's no more perfect. There's no more. You can't get better than perfect. Heaven is what heaven is. But I, so you're telling me, Eric, that what if I, what if I like quit my job and I, and I start this ministry and this ministry reaches thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people? Are you telling me there isn't some like VIP section where I get to hang out in heaven with like, with like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, right? And the truth is, here's what, I, here's what I believe, the size of the mansion that Billy Graham lives in is the exact same size as the, as the mansion of the guy who cleaned the toilets in your church when you grew up. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There is nobody more important in the kingdom of God. There's no job that's more important. And the reality is that significance isn't about the size of your impact. It's about the fact of your impact. And so um, I just want to remind us that numbers aren't as important as we might think they are. That, that size isn't the most important thing. 
when it comes to how we change the world. And so in order to do that, I want you to watch this for just a second. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction with Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? So that's what we're going to ask you. Who's your one? We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about it. Who is your one? And if that freaks you out, I understand it. Because, because maybe you think when I ask who's your one, what you actually think I mean is that you're supposed to think of this person that you're going to sell Jesus to. Like some weird, smarmy dude at the used car salesman lot, right? And I gotta tell you, that is the exact opposite of what we're talking about when we talk about who's your one. And, and to prove it, I wanna, I wanna take you into a story of, of one of the guys that Jesus invested in. One of the guys that he had a one-on-one -on -one encounter with. And I wanna, I wanna to sh show you that these one-on-one -on -one encounters are simple and profound, and anybody can do it. And so let's, uh, before we jump into that, let's pray together, get our hearts right. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to jump into your word. Jesus, would you teach us? Would you teach us what it looks like when you have shown us who our one is? What does it look like to have that conversation? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he, um, he always had crowds following him. He always had hundreds, not always, but often he had hundreds of people, even thousands of people who were just trying to get a miracle or trying to listen to his teaching. Their crowds were never a problem for Jesus, right? But it's interesting to me that even in the middle of the crowds, he was always more concerned with the one than he was with the many. And the one that we're going to talk about today that Jesus was concerned with was this guy named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was an important dude. He was a Pharisee, first of all. And Pharisees, we've talked about them a million times. Pharisees were seen in the Jewish culture as, as top dogs. They were like cream of the crop. And, um, and everybody looked up to them. They were spiritual. Everybody thought highly of them. But this guy, this Nicodemus, he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a, a, a Pharisee who was a part of the ruling council. So he wasn't just like on the team. He was like one of the team captains. You know, like, he, he's a real dude. He's an important guy. Now, what you also have to realize is that what's happening with Jesus in this moment, this conversation that he has with Nicodemus, is actually pretty early in his ministry. And so uh, the Pharisees haven't become, like, the all-out, terrible, you know, like, antagonist in the story yet. They're still just trying to figure out who this Jesus really is. They don't really know exactly what to think about it. And so Nicodemus decides... He doesn't really know what to think about this Jesus. He's going to come and have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with him just to try to get some kind of an idea of who he really is. And so, um, and so he decides to spend this time with Jesus. And I think, I, I wonder if like Jesus had like a, a, if Jesus was like a politician and he had one of his guys, his, 
his um, helpers that walk, he'd be like, okay, Jesus, this is a really important conversation, right? Like it's at the beginning of your campaign, and this dude, it would be a really, if you can say all of the right things, this dude is going to be a really powerful ally in the government. Who knows, there might even be a nice little check involved, you know? Like this, this dude is a, is a guy who matters. Let's see how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus when the stakes are high. Here we go. Uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? This is, I, I tell you what, this is so Jesus. Here's this guy, Nicodemus, he comes under cover of darkness, right? And he comes and he's, he's like trying to feel Jesus out. And, uh, and he comes in the very first thing, it's clear that he's really interested in Jesus, intrigued by him. And, and the first thing he does is he compliments Jesus, right? Hey, listen, man, Jesus, I know that you are from God. It's clear because nobody could do these signs that you're doing if you weren't from God. It's like, hey, it's like, hey, how's it going, Jesus? Shake the hand. And instead of Jesus, I would think that Jesus would be like, what's up, Nicodemus? Nice to meet you. You know, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Let's do the little pleasantries. Heck, no, that's not Jesus. What is Jesus? He, Jesus almost ignores what Nicodemus says. And he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And I wonder if, have you ever been in a conversation, and you're like talking to somebody, and all of a sudden they say something, and you're like, what the heck does that have to do with anything we've been talking about? Anybody ever been in that conversation? All you have to do is have a conversation with Jeff. Am I right, Jeff? Yeah. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> Kim's like, no, it's not. That's no joke. Um, no, 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 but you've been in that. I wonder if that's how Nicodemus felt like, okay. Uh, but, but Nicodemus recovers, and he, and he starts thinking about what Jesus said, and he said, and Jesus said, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And he got born again, got kind of stuck in his brain. And he said, uh, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. And now Nick is like, Nicodemus is like, oh, I get it. I understand. He's like tracking. He's following. Because now Jesus is speaking his language. Because he knew that Jesus had to be talking about baptism. And because of the language that he used, but now... Nicodemus wouldn't have been a, a, expecting that Jesus was talking about baptism into the name of Jesus. He would be talking about, he would think Jesus was talking about the baptism that Nicodemus knew about. And that, that kind of baptism was, was a very different thing. It was, a, it was a thing that someone did, a Gentile, a, a non-Jewish person. If a non-Jewish person wanted to become Jewish, they would get baptized. And mostly it was dudes who wanted to marry some hot uh, Jewish chick, right? Like, so, okay, so now I want to marry this woman. I got to become Jewish in order to be, and the way that I'm going to become Jewish is to get baptized. And there's a whole other little, you know, tiny thing, snip, snip, at the end, um, that sounds pretty terrible. But all of that 
is what goes into Nicodemus's mind. You must be born of both, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, according, Nicodemus would think he meant Israel. If you want to get into the kingdom of God, you have to be baptized. Okay, I'm tracking with you now, Jesus. I understand, not quite sure I understand all of it, but I'm traffic, tracking with you. But before Nicodemus could jump into the conversation, Jesus goes on. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And I think, I think this is where Jesus kind of starts to step into the, the place where it, it kind of feels like one of those super weird spiritual guru types. You know what I'm saying? Like the, you know, he's all like, he's all talking about spirit and flesh and water and born again. And I'm worried that he's going to ask to read my chakras and do some Reiki on me. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Let me be honest with you. There is a video. I really only bring this up just so I can show you this video. Because this video is the most awesome spiritual guru I've ever seen in my life. And I'm going to set it up, and you have to watch it. Um, so this guy, this guy uh, has brought in a group of, of adults, and he's going to, he's teaching them that they have the sort of spiritual power inside of them. That if they can muster their spiritual power, they can physically stop him from bull rushing them. Right? Like he's going to run at them, bull rush them, and, he's, and they've got this spiritual power that, he, that they can use, and you just got to watch. Let's watch. Breathe in. Pull the energy in. Pull it down. And push the energy out the hand. Big breath. More power. More power. More passion. More power. Big. Look into the hands. Good. Good. Yes. Like this. Good. Good. You want to defend? As soon as you see me move, everything you've got in there, you push it out. We can do it. We can do it. Hold on. Let's go. Sure. to go to that class just for entertainment value. Okay, I know. Does that show you that I'm a pretty terrible person? Is everybody in agreement now? Can we just, just like check that box and move on? Um, here's the thing. I, I know it's easy to make fun of that guy, right? It's easy to make fun of that. But here's the truth. Anybody looking in from the outside on what we do, we're just as weird. Do you realize that? You're going to go to church and you're going to eat this little piece of bread and you're going to pretend it's the body of Jesus and you're going to eat it? And you're going to drink a cup of juice you're going to pretend you're drinking his blood? That is weird. And if you don't think it's weird, you've been to church too long. You, you're going to lay hands on each other and pray? That's weird. You're going to raise your hands and worship? That's weird. So let's not be too judgmental of weird spiritual things. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and here's the thing. I don't think that Jesus became one of those wackadoo spirit guru guys. 
I really just brought it up so I could show you that video. Anyway, but I do think, I, I do wonder, if you're, if you're Nicodemus and, and Jesus is talking about all this weird spiritual mumbo-jumbo stuff, if you, if, if you start wondering, like, what the heck is he talking about? But at the same time, have you ever wondered what it would be like to sit with Jesus physically? You know, like, here's Jesus. He is a physical person sitting next to me, and I can talk to him. I just, I, I, got, I had a chance to go to Israel last year, and just sitting on some of the temple steps that you knew that Jesus, there are just a few temple steps that are original from, from not original, but original from when Jesus was there. Um, there was something powerful about just the idea of sitting in a place where he sat 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine what it felt like to connect with Jesus, sitting right there, person to person, eyeball to eyeball. Uh, maybe Jesus was, sounded a little weird to Nicodemus, but I just had this feeling that it didn't matter what Jesus was saying. There had to be something that, was, that drew you in when you were speaking to the king of the earth. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I, think, I think that's where he was. I think he was... I think he was uh, intrigued. I think maybe he was confused. Maybe hard to follow the whole thing, but he was he was in and he was listening. And Jesus again just keeps talking and he doesn't give uh, Nicodemus quite uh, all that much time to respond and he moves on and he says Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus just has all of these new Ideas and, and, and they're connecting with old ideas and he's trying to figure out the mystery of how to put all of this stuff together, this water and, the, and, and being born again and spirit and flesh and all of these ideas are in his brain and I wonder if he's just overwhelmed and he thinks about all that Jesus has said and he only has one thing left to say. He says, how can this be? How on earth is this even possible? How can all of this be? And here's the truth. This is the last thing we hear from Nicodemus in this story. This is the last thing he says. How can this be? How on earth is any of this possible? And the reality is Jesus, Jesus really doesn't answer it. I mean, Jesus talks a little bit more, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, but, but he doesn't really answer him. He just kind of leaves the question, and actually what he says to him is, man, you're like a spiritual leader. If you can't figure this out, how on earth is anybody else going to figure this thing out? Jesus doesn't take all of those questions and put them all together and wrap it all up in a nice, neat little bow. He just leaves the questions. He leaves the mystery. He leaves the uncertainty. There's no closure. And I think, I think Nicodemus might have left a little more confused than he came. And it, it, it gets me to ask the question, is this, like if you've got your one, you know, we're asking you, who's your one? If you've got your one, and you have an opportunity to have a, an important conversation with your one, is this how a one-on-one -on -one conversation is supposed to go? Like, what am I supposed to learn from Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus? It feels a little bit weird. What am I supposed to learn 
from Jesus' interaction with him? Well, I think there's a, there's a few things. But the first thing that we need to learn is that one-on-one -on -one ministry is a long game. I have a friend. Um, I mean, I met him almost 20 years ago. And um, honestly, he started coming to church just to play in the band with us. This was a lot of years ago. And, and he started to come and love the dude. I mean, the dude is about as fun as anybody you've ever been with. And, um, the, but the reality was, he didn't, it was really clear right off the bat, he didn't care all that much about the spiritual stuff. Like, he would come, and he would play in the band, and he would listen to the sermons, and in my brain, you know, in my young pastor brain, I'm like, all we gotta do is get him here. You know, like, we're, God's gonna get hold of him, right? God's gonna teach him, God's gonna, and, and he's gonna end up following Jesus. Well, years went by. Years. And he loved playing, he kept coming around, and he just didn't seem interested. And I, tried, I would try to have these sort of spiritual conversations with him. And he wasn't mean about it. He just didn't care. Have you ever been with somebody like that? He just didn't care. And, um, and so we just kind of let it be because one-on-one -on -one ministry is a long game. Well, um, after a few years, he, uh, he got in some trouble. He got into a fight with somebody. And he, he ended up in jail for a little while. And, uh, and I, I went to visit him at the Rock County Jail, and, and you know, he felt, he felt pretty awful about where his life was at that point, and, I, and all of a sudden, you know, all these conversations started to, to come up, and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe God's going to use this, right? Maybe this is the time. And we had some, some good conversations, um, but as soon as he got out of jail, all of those conversations closed back up. Not interested anymore. So I thought, you know, okay. We're just going to give him time. One-on-one -on -one ministry is a long game. And, um, and here's the thing. I'm going to guess that you're expecting that this story ends in some beautiful conversion experience, but it does not. He's still my friend. We still hang out. I, um, I love the guy. He still does not care at all about spiritual things. And I, you know, the truth is, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm not dead. And neither is he. And so, one-on-one -on -one ministry, it's a long game. I'm still in it. I think the same was true of Jesus with Nicodemus. It's interesting. Nicodemus didn't, doesn't come to Jesus and all of a sudden, you know, like he has this major amazing uh, conversion experience, Right? He comes, he has this conversation, and he goes, and then the next thing we hear from Nicodemus actually happened a couple of years later. A couple of years later, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus kind of speaks up in the, in the ruling council and, and speaks up for Jesus' right to be heard. Now, he's still really careful not to get himself into any trouble with any of this, not to totally align himself with Jesus, but he's like, hey, Jesus has at least has the, the um, right to be heard. And, uh, and then we, we hear from him again at the, at the very end of the Gospels when, when Jesus uh, has, has died, is buried. Uh, it's not buried, buried. After, he's, after he dies, uh, Joseph of Arimathea comes and says, and comes to claim the body. And he's going to bury Jesus in his own tomb. And, the, and we have this moment where Nicodemus comes and helps with the burial, right? But again, sort of in the background, making sure that it doesn't hurt his reputation. The truth is, in the Gospels, we never see a big conversion experience with Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus played a long game. Now, now uh, tr Christian tradition 
And there's some extra biblical writings that support the fact that Nicodemus eventually figured out who Jesus was and gave his life over to him. But Jesus, he didn't, he didn't have this one conversation where he was like, you got to sign on the dotted line. For Jesus, one-on-one -on -one ministry was a long game, and he knew it. And so um, I want to... I want to jump into a couple of more things that I think we can learn about this one-on-one -on -one ministry, besides the fact that it's a long game. I want to give you three don'ts, three things that it is not, and then two things that I think from our story that it is one-on-one -on -one ministry. Here's the first, three things that, that are is that one-on-one uh, -on -one ministry is not. It is not about persuading people. When you have your one, your job is not to make them think like you. That's not the job. One-on-one -on -one ministry is not adversarial. It's not like it's you against them and you're, you've got this like battle. We are always on their side. And number three, one-on-one -on -one ministry is not about spiritual extra credit. If we're gonna do this, if God's gonna give us a one, Who's your one? And we're gonna we're gonna pray for them and invest in them. We do it because we care about them, or we don't do it at all. I believe that. We invest in people because we care about those people, or we shouldn't do it at all. If someone is a conquest, shame on us. Shame. We should if we care about somebody enough to share Jesus with them, that's your one. If you think about, if you just find the person that you think is far from God and you think you can, you have a shot at converting them, shame on us. Those are three dots. All right, here are the two dudes, and this is what I want you to walk away with today. <coughs> and I think they come directly from our story between Jesus and Nicodemus. Here are the two dudes. Live in the mystery and point to the gospel. When you've got a person, when you've got your one, the job is not to persuade. The job is to live in the mystery and point to the gospel. When you look at Jesus, his interaction with Nicodemus, he didn't answer any questions. As a matter of fact, he brought up more questions than anybody. And, and he brought up the mystery of God. He messed with Nicodemus' mind so that he would be thinking about the mysteries of God, the, the water and the baptism and the, and the born again and the spirit and the flesh and it all was swimming around in his mind and he sent him away with this mystery. Live in the mystery. And I believe that he did it because he knew that the mysteries of God are irresistible. The mysteries of God are irresistible people. Because when we dig into the mysteries, we, we feel like we're touching the truth. Like we're, like we're reaching for something that's real. I, I gotta be honest with you, I think the church has been um, way too long in the business of answering questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, we've got an answer for you and it comes in three points. Bull! God is all-powerful. Why doesn't he come and fix all the broken things in the world? What about all those things in your Bible that feel like they're contradictory to each other? What about all those? I've got, uh, there's a list of three, and I don't like, I don't understand any of these. 
And, and here's the thing, when we have our one, when we are one-on-one -on -one with somebody and they're asking us all of these questions, our, it is so tempting to try to answer them because we think that that's what they actually want, that you want answers to these questions. But the truth is, most of the questions that the people in our lives are asking, we don't have answers to because most of them are so complex. And whatever you could say in five sentences, or 30 minutes, or 10 hours of research, barely scratch the surface. And, and if that's the case, if the question that's asked, we really don't have a great grip on the answer, the problem is when we pretend that we do, it comes across as simplistic and disingenuous. Why would I even listen to you? See, we need to stop trying to answer our friends' questions and start agreeing with the questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's a really good question. That's a question I, I wish I had a really good answer for. But I, I would love to dig into it with you. Let's talk about it. And so we live in the mystery. That's our job. Don't answer the question. Live in the mystery. Live with your friend in the mystery. Even dig that mystery a little bit deeper. Did you even think about this? This makes it even harder. Right? And then, and then when we live in the mystery, when we are sitting in the mystery, that's what we need to do. Just sit there. Just sit in the difficulty of the question. Can I say that? Can we learn to sit with our friends in the difficulty of the question without the need to answer it? Because I believe, I believe that living in the mystery of God is irresistible to the people that we love. It doesn't come across as simplistic or disingenuous. It comes across as honest. It's like they start to touch the truth. We live in the mystery. That's the first part, but that's not where Jesus ends. He doesn't just live in the mystery. We haven't gotten to the second part of the story yet because what Jesus says next, after, after Nicodemus says, how can all this be? And his mind is, is blown and, and Jesus says, if you can't figure it out, who else can, right? And there's all this mystery that's lived in. You know what comes next? Remember what chapter we're in? John 3. Guess what verse we're in? 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus lived in the mystery, and then he pointed to the gospel. Live in the mystery. Point to the gospel. Live in the mystery. Don't answer all the questions. Just point to Jesus. Live in the mystery. Point to the gospel. Here's the truth. And the band can come on up because we're going to close up our service here. Um, <coughs> here's the truth. I don't know all of the answers to all of the questions that my friends are going to have. I don't. But the plus is I don't need to. And it's actually better if I don't think that I know. I just need to acknowledge the question. 
I need to sit in the question with the person that I care about. I don't need to bring a PowerPoint presentation that shows how it all points to God. I just need to live in the painful space that the person I care about is living in. And look, let my life speak the gospel to them and look for opportunities to speak that gospel out using words. And let's just, I, let me, you know what, before we sing this last song, I just want to remind you of what that gospel is. It's the point is to live in the mystery with our, the people that we love and point to the gospel. We better have an understanding of what the gospel is. It is not, the gospel is not answers to all of our questions. The gospel is a story. The gospel is this, the story of a God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And that son, Jesus, lived a perfect life and died a horrible death on the cross, cross to pave the way so that you and I might be saved. He died, he was raised from the dead, and he appeared to his disciples, and he continues to appear to you and me today. That's the gospel. And so if God, if and when God gives you your one, the point is, isn't to answer questions. Let's just, let's step into their lives. Let's live in the mystery together and point to the gospel. Would you pray with me?